0: we are in our series on Nehemiah, and we're to chapter 3, and I have a bold statement to make. I want to say that I don't believe there's ever been a better time in the history of mankind uh, to communicate the love and goodness of Jesus than now. And we'll see in Nehemiah 3 why that's the case. But uh, spoiler alert, I'll give you a hint. It's because people matter because God cares about individuals, and we will see that in Nehemiah 3. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, I wonder if any of you recognize uh, this. If I can get it off my belt. Anybody uh, know what that is? So uh, archaeologists (laughs) surmise that uh, that this was an ancient communication device called a pager that Cro-Magnon business people used before cell phones were invented. And if you had one of these, then someone could page you their phone number that would come up on this little screen, and uh, then you could find a payphone to call them back, which would be the hardest part of the process at this point, right? Uh, I had one of these. And before I tell you my story, I need to tell you that my wife, Carolyn, is just the most caring person I know. She's amazing. And uh, when I had my recent surgery, she was in my room every day at my side. She's fabulous. Uh, and so her part in this story uh, is uncharacteristic of her. And she wanted you to know that. So. Um, So I had a pager. So when our daughters were three years old uh, and six months old, Carolyn was a stay-at-home mom, and I had gone back to school to get my master's degree, which means I was uh, about an hour and a half away from home three days a week. And I wanted to be in contact with her if, you know, for an emergency. And so I got a pager. And, uh, you know, you get 15 or 20 free pages a month uh, with it. And so uh, my first month, uh, she never paged me at all, and about two weeks into our second month, uh, no pages so uh, one night uh, after our three year old was in bed and uh, the six month old was in between feedings and before Carolyn collapsed into bed exhausted, uh, I just very uh, you know energetically said, "Hey, you know, uh, it costs nothing to page me so." If any time during uh, your day, when you're thinking about me, you could just, you know, like page me one 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 one, and then I would know that you were thinking of me. And uh, she looked up from her to-do list that she was writing for the next day. She said, "Neil, I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old at home. I'm not thinking of you." (Laughter) Well, I'm glad we had this little chat. So uh, and I get it, and uh, you know, she's busy, and I know that, and uh, it didn't upset me. But I have to tell you, it's it's nice to feel like you matter. Uh, it's It's nice to think that someone is thinking of you. Um, but back then, I had uh, you know, a pager, a communication device, just one that let me know that on a regular basis there was one person not thinking about me. (laughs) Fast forward to today. Oh my gosh, I have thousands of Facebook friends, hundreds of LinkedIn contacts. I've got uh, email and texts and phones and phone messages. I literally have thousands of people not thinking about me and contacting me. Well, you know, we know social media isn't for that. It, you know, you use it for different things. And and, and technology has not evolved to the point uh, that it is simply to stroke my ego. But uh, I do think that our hearts notice. Our hearts notice when, when we're not in contact with people. A friend of mine, uh, Nicole Phillips, is the, uh, uh, she, she leads, she's the host of the, NPR kindness podcast, and she does speaking all over, and she leads uh, uh, business people uh, and executives in an exercise. So imagine a room full of executives doing the exercise, playing the game uh, Heads Up, Seven Up. So remember, that's a little kid's game where everyone in the room puts their heads down and their thumbs up, and then seven kids run around the room, and they tap somebody on the thumb. And then I don't know what happens after that but uh, but she would do that with them, and uh, then she would debrief the exercise with them, and uh, she would ask the executives, "What were you thinking when you had your head down and thumbs up?" and you would be amazed at how many of them were thinking, "Pick me, pick me." In our day and age, you know, the like button and the share button are our versions of pick me. And we would love to be picked. We would love to matter. But a 2018 survey said that between half and all adults in the United States feel alone, feel lonely, and are not connected with others. And so we have... The opportunity to tell people that we care about them, that we are thinking of them, uh, and I think that's a I think that's a strong uh, thing for any of us to do. So we are going to dive into Nehemiah and see how that relates to what we're doing uh, with him in these chapters in Nehemiah. Uh, we started at uh, chapter one a couple weeks ago and. Uh, then chapter two last week, we're in chapter three this week. And what I want to say first is, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate that we live in a culture where people's greatest need, the need for community, the need for connection, the need to matter, the need to know that they uh, are thought of is exactly what our God is willing to offer them. That our God... uh, came for an individual and lived for them and died for them and is still with them today, each one of us as individuals and us as community. We've got the good news. Jesus said, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then he said, you know, God knows the hairs on your head. He said from the global, where everyone is uh, loved by God, To the granular, he knows your name. Wow, that's the spectrum of the love of God. And that's the message that we have. Christianity is a faith for individuals. And we see this in the New Testament, but we see it in the Old Testament as well. Uh, And we see it in Nehemiah, in particular in that third chapter So let's review. In chapter 1, Nehemiah gets bad news that the the wall around Jerusalem has been torn down. It's been down for 150 years. In chapter 2, he goes to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and asks for help, and the king gives him help. And at the end of chapter 2, he makes it to Jerusalem, and he casts a vision towards uh, the leaders in Jerusalem to say, let's rebuild the wall. And they say, yes, we're in, we'll do it. And then chapter 3... They are rebuilding the wall. Okay, so that's a lot. Uh, before I show you um, a few specific verses from chapter eleven, let me show you the entire chapter thirteen, uh, chapter three. It looks like this. Uh, so that's thirty-two verses. Now, if you could, if you took out your Bibles, you could look at it. If you took out U version, you could look at it. But here's what I want you to see. You can't, you can't see it, but it's verse after verse after verse of this. So-and-so did such-and-such. It's it's very specific people and what they did to rebuild the wall. So I'll just go through a little bit. Elisha, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. Uh, the fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, son of somebody, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofed it, Did other things to it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin made repairs in front of their house. Uh, It's it's all the specificity about individuals and the things that they did. It's amazing. For 32 verses, we get all of that. Now, compare that to what Nehemiah chapter 3 would look like if it was written today. It would be a sentence. It would go like this. Everyone chipped in and helped repair the wall right? We don't need to know what they did, who was it. We don't know them. We, we don't need, we don't have time to hear all of that detail. If this were a movie uh, of Nehemiah, this would be a seven second montage, a flyover. And we'd have a drone go over and you'd see uh, all these people bent over and you'd just see their backs, you know, with shovels and picks. And then one person would look up and then, that, and then it'd be over. That's it. That's, for, that's chapter three. But that's not the way chapter 3 reads, Nehemiah was painstakingly careful to take notes about uh, who did what. And I want you to remember, he didn't have pencil and pen and paper. I mean, they did have pens, kind of, and they did have things to write on, like leather or vellum or, you know, papyrus. You know, it wasn't like we think of taking notes. I have no idea how he took notes, but Look at the detail that he went to. Uh, And based on the level of care that he took, it must mean these people are important, that these people matter, and what they did mattered. So let's just take a look at a few of the specifics that some of them did. So verse 3 says, The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Hananiah, this is verse 8, one of the perfume makers made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Verse 12, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. And verse 31, Malkijah, One of the goldsmiths made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate as far as the room above the corner. Wow, that is detail. It is amazing the level of detail we have today about an event that took place thousands of years ago. It wasn't just handymen and day laborers that did this work. It was goldsmiths and perfumers and city managers and their sons and their daughters. Um, We even know that Malkijah, a goldsmith, made uh, repairs. Now, it was opposite the inspection gate. You all know where that is, right? And it was opposite that, all the way up to that room in the corner. Amazing, amazing detail. Assuming that the people who were reading it for the first time were like, oh yeah, I know that corner. (laughs) Can't believe he got up there. (laughs) So why such detail about uh, uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament? Because people matter. And they matter to God. And what they do matters. We live in a time when people question the relevance of faith in Christ. And I can't think of a more relevant time for us to be able to communicate that God loves individuals, and, he, and what they do matter to him. We in our faith are relevant to others when we demonstrate to people that they matter. And we do that when we genuinely care about them, we value what they do, and we show we are thinking about them. That's three things. We'll come back to them a few times. We genuinely care about people, we value what they do, and we show them that we're thinking about them. So how do we do that? Good news, Nehemiah did it. We can learn from Nehemiah. And I'm telling you right now, we can do this. You can do this. And we need to do this. Followers of Christ need to demonstrate that people matter. And I have some really simple ways for us to do that. Uh, So what are they? Nehemiah did three things. And just before we read them, Let me introduce you to micro actions, micro actions. These are tiny actions, the smallest actions we can do and still say we're doing something. If if it was any smaller, you'd be sitting on the couch, right? So so micro actions, you can take any big action and break it down into smaller, smaller, smaller actions. And the thing about micro actions is, is that they're small enough for us, they're easy. It's almost easier to do them than to not do them. And doing them repeatedly over time builds up, and they have tremendous power when we do that. Now, that's true about any microaction, and almost anything can be broken down into smaller and smaller pieces. But it's especially true about microactions of kindness. Microactions of kindness. And the reason is this. Microactions of kindness have triple the power to make a difference. And and I'm not just saying that. That science says it. So it turns out that uh, when we do something, it makes us feel better, right? When we do something kind, we feel good. Who else feels good? The person we're doing it for. And who else? Anyone who sees it feels the exact same feeling we do when we do it. It's amazing. This is why we love to watch, you know, people doing good things uh, on YouTube, because we feel better just watching them. Uh, the scientific reason for this is that it uh, doing acts of kindness, receiving acts of kindness, and seeing acts of kindness put into our system what scientists call happy hormones. They are three of them, uh, oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin. And they flood our system when we have this kindness experience. So imagine it's not just one person doing it, one person receiving it, and one person seeing it. It could be hundreds or thousands of people seeing it. The impact of kindness and microactions of it is stupendous. It's huge. Um, and just to be clear, we are not trying to make people happy. That's not why we're doing this. We are doing it. Because when we do microactions of kindness, it shows that we care, that we value what they do, and that we're thinking about them. The very thing people need today. Uh, in fact, the practice of microactions of kindness is so significant that it's being incorporated into psychotherapy uh, systems today. And I have great news. These micro actions are so small that we're going to be able to remember them and we're going to be able to do them. I mean, um, how many times have you heard a speaker give, uh, you know, an application or action steps or I don't know, call them next steps and, and we forget them before they're finished saying them because they just go over our head. Not today. Today we're going to remember them because they're just tiny and we can actually do this. Uh, by the way, we're not alone when we forget important things like what we're supposed to be doing. Um, because it turns out that managers who get involved in programs, when you do this stuff in, in companies, it's all around the idea of employee engagement. And when you're doing that, uh, managers get involved and they help develop the plans, they help develop the actions. Do you know that 80% of managers who help develop the plans and the actions don't follow the plans and don't take the actions. So we're in good company, not doing stuff. But we can, and and uh, and, and we can be successful. In order to be successful, they, we have to. They have to be tiny. They have to be small. They have to be micro. So when I had surgery recently, um, immediately after it, like the day after, the physical therapist came in, and she needed to get me moving. But she didn't say, "I want you to walk to uh, the door." She didn't even say, I want you to take a step. She said, get up. Get up. Get up was the smallest thing I could do and still say I was doing something. It was a micro action. So that's the kind of thing we can do. So all right, here we go. Uh, we see three actions demonstrated by Nehemiah. And if we had time... We could go to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, and we would see that Jesus uses the same three micro actions in his conversation with a woman caught in adultery. And then we would page forward to 2 Timothy, and we would see that Paul uses the same three micro actions in his conversation with Timothy. So this, these things are spread throughout the, uh, the entire Bible. Uh, and micro action number one, in chapter one, uh, we see Nehemiah doing this, the the People come to him and he starts with a, a personal question. So here uh, we read Nehemiah 1-2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah started the conversation with a personal question. Hey, how was your trip to Jerusalem? Right? And that, that set everything off. So we learn from Nehemiah, microaction number one, start with personal. Start with personal. Uh, In every interaction, start with personal. No matter what what we're doing. If you're in a face-to-face conversation, you see somebody on Monday morning, hey, how was your weekend? That's starting with personal. Uh, If you're emailing somebody, uh, uh, hey, I hope you're doing okay, personal. You're texting somebody. I was thinking about you this morning on the phone to somebody across the country. Hey, how's the weather in your area? All of it personal. Now, by the way, the only way for this to actually work is when we ask a question, let them answer it. Because you know, sometimes we're like, hey, how's the weather? By the way, my te- telephone's not working. So, you know, call it customer service. So don't do that. But if we let them answer, what will they hear from us? That we care about them. That's what starting with personal does. In many ways, we've lost our personal touch. Um, people are busy. Businesses want to the, get to the point. Uh, we worry about offending someone or crossing a boundary. And let's be honest, we're suspicious. If somebody's nice to us, what do we think? What do they want from me? Right? right. So, the here's, so here's the thing. We want to be personal, not intrusive. Remember, micro actions. It has to be small enough that people's radar don't go up and go, hey, this is sounding creepy already. Right? Um, uh, Basically, we want to be personal without being intrusive, uh, and just personal comments and questions that invite a relationship. So we start with personal, and it's micro, but it has macro implications. In fact, when you start with personal, it builds trust with the other person. So Stephen Covey says, when we demonstrate that we care, it builds trust in the relationship, And that makes everything better, which is awesome. I have a friend, Dave, who manages a team remotely. So his team is literally spread across the world, a virtual team. And you can imagine that teams like that tend to create lone rangers, people who, yeah, they're on the phone call, but when they hang up, they're all by themselves out in the outer boondocks, and they're just going to do it however they want to do it. Dave had one of those this lone ranger, and for three years he tried to get him to, you know, be a part of the team, to work as a team member. No avail. Uh, And then uh, the team recently got together at the home office, and the lone ranger had to fly out a day early so he'd make it, and Dave took the opportunity to take him to dinner, and Dave started with personal. And they actually started to talk about a diet that they were both on that the company had encouraged people to take. And they were talking about, well, what food at Costco can you use? And they were comparing notes and all of that. And then towards the end of the meal, the other person said, all right, Dave, what's this meeting tomorrow about? Uh, And Dave said, well, he told him, and he told him the goal, and he said, I'm hoping that you'll adopt a few of the things that we're working on. Next day, the person volunteered to, to bring three areas of his work into the team environment and to be a team player. Why? Because he trusted Dave now. Because Dave started with personal. Wow. Genius. And uh, we can all do it. It's a micro action. So we start with personal to show that we care, to build trust, and to stimulate happy hormones. Wow, what a great idea. In chapter 2, Nehemiah leads us to our second thing, uh, when he publicly talks about what the king had done back in Persia. So we read in Nehemiah 2.18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Remember, we looked last week at the king, King Artaxerxes, and he was in, Nehemiah was in his throne room, and the king said, Yes, we'll do it, and what else do you need? And he said, I need the trees, and I need guards, and I need a house. And, and so he tells them all of that. Okay, let's remember who King Artaxerxes is. He's the one who tore down the walls in Jerusalem. Now, it was 150 years ago, so he didn't personally tear them down, but it was his predecessor that did. He is an overlord. He is the reason Israel is in as bad a shape as it is, and Nehemiah's out there praising the king. why? Because he deserves it because in this moment he 'd done something that Nehemiah needed to say thank you for and and it demonstrated to the people that the king was on board, so it was smart, so they all said we 're in so Nehemiah teaches us micro action number two. Um, Praise publicly. Nehemiah teaches us micro action number two. Praise publicly. How many of you are just sick and tired of being praised so much? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Ken Blanchard, who speaks to tens of thousands of people, usually asks that question of every crowd. And every crowd gives the exact same response. A lot of laughter and no hands go up. None of us are tired of too much praise. And yet, we don't get so much. Our our names are not associated usually with positive things. We might get uh, teased or corrected or questioned publicly, but not so often our name that comes along with good job, right? Um, And that's a funny thing because uh, somewhere in science, uh, they say that uh, our favorite sound is the sound of our own name. But it doesn't get used positively as often as we'd like. Uh, to praise publicly just means to to celebrate or thank or recognize someone for what they've done, and to celebrate them in front of others. Now we don't want to get too big, you know. There's a lot of people, people here who are like, I don't like that. I I would be embarrassed. I never that I would feel you know uncomfortable. Yeah, we don't. That's that's too big. We want to be micro. So imagine being in a. in a a room, and and maybe a a workroom, and there's people milling around, and you just say to somebody across the way, hey, thanks for uh, jumping in on that project. And by the way, good job. You really helped out. Well, that's not so bad. That's a little micro action of public praise. And by doing this, we demonstrate we truly value what they do. Now, uh, in the business world, when people are doing this, they're doing it around the concept of employee engagement, and it's the simplest thing for a manager to do. To praise someone publicly, it increases their engagement because it communicates to them what you value, we value. We're on board. We're, we're doing the, you're, you're, you're doing the right thing. So that's awesome. Start with personal, praise publicly, and number three, we learn in chapter 3 from Nehemiah, and it's uh, when he's writing all kinds of notes. So we already saw this, but let me read it to us again. It says, The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasinah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. So Nehemiah is taking very specific notes. I don't think he's sending personal notes to each of these. He didn't go to Hasenah and send him a personal note. He said, thanks for the fish gate. He, he didn't have that ability. That ability really didn't come into play until 1850—the ability to send personal notes. But we definitely learn from Nehemiah that taking note really matters. That that recognizing what people do really matters. So we learn from Nehemiah his third action, micro action number three: write notes, write notes. Uh, which goes back to my pager story, uh, because we have so much technology to write notes. Now, I mean, yes, absolutely. use Take real cards and do handwritten notes. That's amazing. I know you're going to have to go to CVS and buy cards to be able to do that, but we can also send emails and send uh, texts and make phone calls. All of that is under the category of write notes that just... Give people a sense, oh, they're thinking of me. Um, And uh, and it can make a person's day. Remember I mentioned Ken Blanchard? So uh, a friend of mine, uh, 15 years ago, worked at a huge IT company. And uh, his boss walked out of his office one day with a big smile on his face, and he said, you'll never guess who called me. Ken Blanchard. Now, Ken didn't have any kind of relationship with them. They didn't have any contracts or anything like that. Ken just loves to call people and say, hello, and how you doing? And I was thinking of you. Maybe they'd met somewhere. And he said, if there's anything I can do for you, you just let me know. Well, you know what? That made that boss's day. And it made my friend's day just hearing about it. And 15 years later, my friend was still feeling the same feelings as he told me the story. That's the power of a microaction of kindness. So I want you to think about a time when you received a handwritten note. Christmas cards don't count. When have you received a note? And did you say, well, that was awfully nice of them. Wow. How nice of them to take time to write that note. That's good. And then what did you do with it? Oh, here's the power of handwritten notes. We don't know what to do with them. You can't throw them away. I mean, they're like gold. I mean, somebody wrote you a note. You can't throw it away. But it doesn't go in your inbox. It floats around your desk weeks, sometimes months. And then eventually, we stick it in a drawer. And years later, we pull it out, and what do we say? Oh, I remember that was from so-and-so. That was awfully nice of them to write that to me 10 years ago. When we get the same feeling about the person, that's those happy hormones. They're stimulated by acts of kindness and even thinking about acts of kindness. Now, let me ask you a question. Why wouldn't we want to be the person who wrote that note? We could be laying landmines bo- land of happiness and kindness all over the world to be blown up at some point in the future. Uh, It would be awesome, and it's a micro-action. It's a small thing to write uh, those kinds of notes and all the other kinds as well. Writing notes connects us with others, and it turns out that writing notes also builds loyalty uh, because it lets people know we're thinking about them, and we like people who think about us. You know what? I kind of feel better towards that person than the one who doesn't pay me any attention at all. So that's, a, that's an extra thing. Let's wrap this up and go back to my very first point. The opportunity to share the goodness and love of God has never been greater. And why is that? It's because our kindness can soften a purple person's heart to the love and goodness of God. Just our kindness can soften their heart and say, maybe I'll give this a thought. Near the end of the New Testament, Peter was writing to people that needed God and to people like us and to people like people we know. And he wrote this, God is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. There are people in our lives that God is giving space and time to change. There are people in this world the same. God is giving people space and time to change. Imagine if we were agents of change simply by doing micro actions of kindness. So, I have a next step for you. I think you're going to know it. I think it's going to be easy to remember. This week, start with... Yeah, we're going to do this better. This week, start with... And public... And right... Absolutely. I expect to get one of those from you. (laughs) Let's pray.